Gordon McDonald shared a wonderful story in Leadership Journal earlier this year. He talks about friends of his, Paul and Edith Reese. They were in their 90s. Paul asked, or uh, excuse me, Gordon asked Paul if, if they still had disagreements. Oh, sure we do, Dr. Reese responded. Yesterday morning was a case in point. Edith and I were in our car and she was driving. She failed to stop at a stop sign and it scared me half to death. So what did you do, McDonald asked. Well, I've loved Edith for all these years and I've learned how to say hard things to her. But I must be careful because when Edith was a little girl, her father always spoke to her harshly. And today when she hears a manly voice speak in anger, even my voice, she is deeply, deeply hurt. But Paul, McDonald said, Edith is 90 years old. Are you telling me that she remembers a harsh voice that many years ago? She remembers that voice more than ever, he said. McDonald asked him, so how do you handle that driving situation from the other day? Ah, oh, he said, I simply said, Edith, darling, after we've had our nap this afternoon, I want to discuss a thought I have for you. And when the nap was over, I did. I was calm, she was ready to listen, and we solved our little problem. Ah, McDonald concludes, these are the words of a man who has learned that conflict is necessary. It can be productive, but it must be managed with wisdom and grace. By the time I reach 90, he says, I hope to be just like him. (laughs) Did you notice that that man did not say to his wife, oh, for pity's sake, Edith, you're 90 years old. Grow up, get over it. Something like that. Two healthy folks. After years together, they had learned to live well and to live the truth with one another, and to do so in the strength of the Lord. I think that story is an excellent illustration of God's people listening and following the lead of the Holy Spirit and yielding to the truth of Scripture. And when they do, the interaction that results can be great glory to God. And so this morning, we're going to continue in our study of Applewood's DNA those things that are distinctive about us, those things that, that uh, if they are, are lived out well, they bring great glory to God. And that's what we want. That's what we're about. But don't forget that my contention all along has been because these distinctives can bring great glory to God, we need to keep them on the radar screen. Do we not? Um, keep them on the radar screen of those things that the enemy would like to change And usually they're just small, subtle little kinds of things um, because that's often the way he works, you know? If the enemy came to us in the proverbial jumpsuit and pitchfork, we probably would recognize it. Hey, I think that's the enemy. He doesn't wear a jumpsuit and he doesn't carry a pitchfork. He is much more subtle, much more crafty, much wiser than that, and knows us and our propensities, strengths and weaknesses, I think knows us well. Perhaps you've noticed that there are changes 
going on these days, changes in the building, changes in faces, new faces here and there, fun days for which we give thanks as a congregation and we celebrate. We also remember that when churches change and experience change, they can also experience a change in culture and personality. We must keep in mind that human nature, being what it is, plays right into the temptations of the enemy. He will seek to divide us in small ways. Small ways that lead to an assault on God and upon his reputation through our lives. And that is not what we want. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay, good. Just wondering if you're awake with me this morning. So, let's consider another part of life together this morning. It comes under that distinctive of being family. That's the the piece of DNA that that we've been talking about for a couple of Sundays. Flows really right out of last week's Galatians 6 topic. You remember the exhortation to respond to the sin of a brother or sister, a person who is is caught in a sin. And remember we said that, that that word can be interpreted caught red-handed in a sin, or more likely, it is responding to that brother or sister who is struggling with sin, wrestling with something in their lives, and, and we all have to agree that that is us. The person who we see most often struggling with sin is very likely the person in the mirror. And we respond to others Paul says in Galatians 6, with gentleness and humility, realizing that we are, we are never more than just a moment away from being caught up in a sin ourselves. So let's stand this morning and let's prepare to read our text together. Remember from our study in Ephesians, you can come on up, that's all right. Remember from our study in Ephesians, one of the themes that flowed throughout that book and in significant portions was body life instruction. And this particular text that we're going to read this morning comes from the, uh, the section where some of your Bibles will give it uh, the heading of unity in the body of Christ. It's, it's quite consistent with what we have learned, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about body life being family, family of God. So this is about unity in the body. Tell me again why unity in the body is important. Someone? Just because it's nice and pleasant, right? Why is unity amongst God's people important? Say again. People will know Jesus is who he says he is. She, had, yeah. she must have an inside track. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's read these words together. Uh, end of chapter 4, first of 5. Together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Do you hear those words? To walk in the way of God, follow God's example, be imitators of God, live a life of love. Now, remember, these are words of body life. Paul is talking about conduct between Christians, between brothers and sisters in Christ. This is family language. So let me read those last three verses again slowly. Listen closely. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want you to talk with your neighbor about this for a moment. That exhortation says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Turn to a neighbor and talk with them about the nature of God's forgiveness. How do you describe God's forgiveness for you, for others? And... How is that lived out among God's people? Talk about God's forgiveness. What what is that about? What's the nature of it? How does God forgive? How do we live that out together as God's people? Go ahead. See what your neighbor thinks. Okay, we ready? Describing the forgiveness of God in just a few short words. Yeah, right. So, what'd you find? What'd you find with your neighbor? What'd you talk about? What's, what's distinctive about God's forgiveness? How do you describe that? And then, how, how's that lived out amongst God's people? Craig? Can't describe it. <laughs> you can't describe it. Okay. So if we are to live it, I, I'm sorry, I always go to this verse. It's Matthew uh, 6, 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So that's kind of like, we, we sure can then take that grace, but we're not real great at grace dispensers at times. Well, Craig, that's because I'm more deserving of that grace than you are. <laughs> you are so right you're so right yeah what else what else did you come up with yes it is it is complete nothing left uncovered perhaps okay good good merciful what else Diane Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, he he takes it as emotional, I guess that's what I think of being angry. 
Okay. Is that not the biggest if that you would probably face in your entire life? If I could, good, good thoughts, good thoughts, yeah, excellent, excellent. What else, Rick? Yeah, when I forgive somebody here, it says here, just as uh, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, when I forgive people sometimes, it's, it's the Italian way, I'll forgive you, but later on I want forgiveness, I, I tag something onto it. I don't you mean it's fragrant, but it might not smell so good? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Boy, can't and, we all relate to that? You know, I just, uh, yeah. Do I do I look at it as a fragrant offering to God? Mm. Is, is Boy, there's a motivation. How's this smelling as it goes up to heaven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Images of of the aroma of the smoke from the offerings in the Old Testament. Sure, Lee. Um, forgiveness is ongoing. Ongoing. We think of Christ's death as an mm-hmm. event in the past. Yeah. because of hmm. tense problems in the Greek. And the, the Greek is the perfect tense, which is, by grace, you are being forgiven. Yeah, yeah. So despite yeah. our ongoing sin, we are still, by the blood of Christ, being forgiven. Yeah, yeah. It's that complete idea. Yeah. Past, present, future, covered. Anyone else? Zach? Yeah, I think part of your question was, <clears throat> How do we relate to one another? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. How's, how's that get lived out? So, uh, uh, the thing I find is when there's a, a, a conflict or a mm-hmm. challenge, is to re- recognize it as quickly as I can and then give a blessing instead of a cursing. <laughs> and, and I just want to again say this, even though I've said it before. Uh, just with a thought, we can send a curse. Mm. And the curse can just be a negative attitude within myself sure can. or a negative thought towards that person. Mm-hmm. So we want to bless and curse not, mm-hmm. just like Jesus did hanging up there on that piece of wood. He looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So uh, that's, I, I, that's the attitude and the way we do it, I think. Good. I like Hardly that. Anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that. Anyone else? Carol. Okay, okay. Equal to the absence of hate, we could maybe push along the lines of, of his hatred of sin, his love for sinful people. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. There was one other hand, I think. Oh, Jill. Um, should we be able to accomplish his love mm-hmm. for us back at people? Uh, people would flock to him. Hmm. Okay. Okay. People would flock to Jesus if they saw that sort of response, that sort of love and forgiveness in his people. Good stuff. God's, God's forgiveness of us 
through his son. <laughs> I've got to go back to Craig. You really can't describe it. I mean, it's more immense than we know. We can put words to it, and, and of course, we are people of language and words. But it's, it's so much bigger than the reality that, that, that our words capture. It is, for me, it's a hyphenated word. It is life-transforming. It is life-transforming, or at least I know that in theory, it's supposed to be life-transforming. A, a holy and just God forgives sinful people because He wants to. He chooses to out of the vastness of, of, of love that characterizes who He is. You remember the words from chapter 2 in Ephesians. We studied the book together some months ago. The description of people before salvation in Christ... Paul says they're dead in their transgressions and sins. They follow the ways of the world and its ruler by nature. They're objects of wrath. And then those words that, that have to be some of the most wonderful in all of Scripture, starting with that little three-letter conjunction, but, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Craig, I hear Paul struggling here to verbalize. <laughs> it's God who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's important for us to remember when we consider the idea of forgiveness that there are no degrees of sin with God. We categorize sins. My sins aren't as bad as yours. Your sins aren't as bad as your neighbor's. You may think your sins aren't as bad as my, you know. <laughs> we categorize sin. With God, there is no degree. There, there are not some sins that are worse than others as far as disqualifying us from His presence. We categorize he does not. It is the sin of rebellion. It is, it is the sin nature that is resident in each one of our hearts. The pursuit of life apart from a relationship with God, it is that sin for which all humanity is judged. And out of that sin nature flows all the other garbage that we classify as sins. But, but the sin, the sin is rejection of our Creator. It is... I can live life without you. Wow. And it's that sin under which all of humanity is condemned. And it is that sin that God forgives through His Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, again, but because of His great love for us, that ought to just make us sit back and go, wow. If we're honest, if we're honest about ourselves, if we're honest about who we know ourselves to be, that ought to just give us pause because of His great love for us. God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And it's those words that really set the tone, I think, for understanding all that Paul is writing in this letter to the Ephesians and especially in this text because God's people have been saved by such an amazing grace 
they will live out grace toward one another. It is, it is grace in action. It is our understanding of grace that will control our lives. It is our understanding of grace that will, will check our attitudes and our actions with one another. Uh, you know, Paul in, in the text mentions that, that those who are controlled by the Spirit of God and empowered by His grace, uh, they don't steal from one another, they don't speak in unwholesome ways with and about one another. God's grace and our understanding of His grace checks our rage and our bitterness and our slander and our malice. All those things that we read about, they're relational problems. They happen in context with others. And it will cause us, Paul says, to be kind If we really get it, it will cause us to be kind and compassionate with each other. It will cause us to to imitate God and forgive one another. It's it's kind of the, the summary statement of this text. To imitate God, forgive one another. I read the most stunning story about forgiveness this week. It happened about six years ago in New York. A woman by the name of Victoria... Ravolo. She was 45 years old. She was driving to her niece's voice recital when she passed another car driven by a 19-year-old. His name was Ryan Cushing. Cushing was riding with five other teens, and they had just used a stolen credit card to go on a spending spree. One of their purchases was a frozen turkey. Well, as they were speeding down the roadway, Cushing decided to toss it out the window into oncoming traffic. It was like a 20-pound projectile, and it smashed through Ravolo's windshield, crushing her face. Amazingly, she survived, although she spent 10 hours in an operating room while doctors repaired her face. And when she finally went home, she had a tracheotomy tube, and she endured months of painful rehab. On October 17, 2005, Ravolo attended Cushing's sentencing and asked his judge for leniency. I I almost can't read this. It is so powerful. Part of her statement read, Despite all the fear and the pain, I have learned from this horrific experience, and I have much to be thankful for. Each day when I wake up, I thank God simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope you have also learned from this awful experience, Ryan. There is no room for vengeance in my life. And I do not believe a long, hard prison term would do you, me, or society any good. Cushing wept while she spoke, and he expressed remorse for his actions. At the end, he was sentenced to six months in jail. He could have gotten a 25-year prison sentence if Ravolo had not intervened. If your mind works the way mine does, and I pray it doesn't, (laughs) I read that and thought, oh, he should have gotten the 25 years. Creep. She said, I truly hope that by demonstrating compassion and leniency, I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you mature into a responsible, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and your community, then I will be truly gratified 
and my suffering will not have been in vain. She concluded with, Ryan, prove me right. Oh my gosh. That takes my breath away. It's incredible. And it's also outrageous. Justice has not been served. And something inside of me wants that. Can you feel that at all? Here's the point of my sermon this morning. It's pretty simple. Grace will be most visible in our life together as church family when we are quick to forgive. When our desire to forgive is greater than our desire for justice, when our understanding of forgiveness is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, that was the greatest injustice that that humanity has, has ever known. The death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. The injustice of that needs to stun us as the people of God. It really does. Justification is the theological term for God treating us as sinless. To be justified is to be pronounced righteous by God. And I was pronounced righteous by God when I wasn't righteous. And he put my sins on his son. The stunning truth is that we are justified in the eyes of God as a result of a terrible injustice to his son. Man. Forgiveness flows out of the amazing grace of God and into the lives of his people and out of them into the lives of others. And in the case of our text, Paul is saying forgiveness flows like a river amongst God's people as they live their lives together. God's people are to be forgiving of one another. Period. No exceptions. Again, if you think it all like I do, I immediately go to some heinous sin. I go to kind of a worst case scenario of a sin that someone could commit against me. Some of you have wrestled with those kinds of things in your lives. How difficult would this be? And how, how would I have to wrestle with that painful process of coming to a place of forgiveness? But... Here's the reality, I think, for most of us in our lives. And I think it's the reality that Paul is addressing in this situation, although I don't think he would make exceptions. The truth is that most of us don't go around committing huge, heinous, devastating sins against one another. Would you agree? Probably not. At least, at least not on most days, right? <laughs> And so what I think has the greatest potential for division in any church family is is the truth that each of us lives with what I call the everyday effects of sin. It's the everydayness. It's, it's It's life in a fallen world. Sin has impacted our lives in in many, many ways. But I want to suggest to you that that we really have no idea how deeply sin 
has impacted humanity and the lives that we live. Some of us are old enough to remember the comedian Flip Wilson. You know, what was his famous line? Do you remember? The devil made me do it. Unfortunately, we, we, we can't use that as an excuse. I, I want to. I want to sometimes. But we know that the scripture says we are responsible for our sins. Each of us is accountable for the sins that flow out of our lives because of that sin nature that has so polluted humanity. But even Paul in Romans chapter 7, he does that wrestling match. You've read those verses where I I know what's right to do and that's what I want to do, but I don't do it. And I know what's wrong and I don't want to do that, but that's what I... And he's, he's wrestling between the reality of his sinful nature that produces garbage relationally and the new nature that comes from being redeemed by Christ. And so often we end up doing and saying things that we really don't want to do and say. I really believe that. Sin, I hope this doesn't seem too silly. Sin makes us selfish and stupid. It really does. It makes us selfish and stupid. We sometimes say and do stupid things. And I don't know about you, but I'm often selfish. And I don't want to be. You know, there are many things in Scripture that, uh, that leave us wondering. There's a lot about which Scripture doesn't give us great information. I think one of the greatest information gaps is found in Genesis chapter 3 between verses 5 and 6. One quick bite of that fruit, Adam and Eve went from perfect humanity to totally fallen. Just like that. Just like that. Brothers and sisters, we must remember that we are redeemed people. But redemption... Redemption happened because of sin that permeated every fiber of our being. And and that sin, the propensity to sin, doesn't go away. Our bodies have been affected by sin. That's the excuse that I love to use. Our brains, yes, it's sin. Our physical function, our hormones, etc. There is nothing about humanity that has not been impacted by sin. The same sin nature that makes me stupid makes you stupid. The same sin nature that makes me selfish makes you selfish. And sometimes when I act stupid and you feel selfish, we got problems. <laughs> But that's the way life is amongst fallen human beings. I say something that I don't intend to be hurtful or that I don't even, I haven't even been thinking about it. Therein lies the problem. And depending on the day, you take it the wrong way as an insult, an inconsideration, something that was done against you. We all do that. Small things that are said and done and experienced in the wrong way. Life in a fallen world. Welcome. 2 Corinthians 
Chapter 5, Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us because we have been reconciled to him through Christ. And he says this. I love this. The message of reconciliation is this. God is not counting the sins of people against them. Woohoo! I do, but he doesn't. God is not counting the sins of people against them. If God is not holding our sins against us, then we probably ought not to hold other sinful actions against them. Can anything that someone does against us or that we interpret as being against us, can it be anything near our offense toward God? No. No. The answer is no. Even though it is painful and it is real, it is raw, the answer is no. There's a theological discussion that goes on in some circles. It's a debate between whether or not we being justified in Christ are saints or sinners. There's never a debate that we were sinners, but after we've been justified, are we still sinners? Are we saints because we've been redeemed by Christ? Or are we sinners because the old nature is not dead and gone until we are? The answer is yes. We are saints and we are sinners. And it's, it, it is a tension and it's, it's quite possible that, that we can go away from a sermon like this thinking, well, you know, I've, I've got this down. I don't hold things against people. Are, are you sure? Now, think about life in Applewood Community Church. Are there people that you like being with more than others? What's behind that? You ever get a call from someone in the church family and because of caller ID you don't answer it? What's behind that? How about the last time someone hurt you or disappointed you, your, your perception? Have you, have you gotten past that? Have you forgiven them for that? And the way that you probably can know that is if you're ready to, to be with them and have conversation again. Does it keep coming up? And if it does, maybe it's time to go back to the Spirit and say, I need help again. You see, Paul, I don't think, is necessarily talking about about huge things here in this text. He's He's talking about small things. He's talking about things, or at least I should say he's including in what he's writing, things that are done because sin makes us stupid and selfish. And we can be stupid and we can be selfish with one another and never mean to. Never mean to. Never intend it the way that it was taken. I read this, this USA Today story earlier this week. They, they did a survey of about 1,200 adults. They, re, they reported this, I should say, as a survey that was done by Global Strategy Group for Orkin, you know, the, uh, the pest exterminator people. They found that 24% of adults, that's one in four, will pay an exterminator to kill spiders. 
Roughly the same number, 27% of adults, will pay to annihilate ants. With the next pest, the percentage jumps to just over half. 56% will pay to banish bedbugs. The same 56% will pay to get rid of rodents. 58% will pay to kill cockroaches. And then the number jumps again when we talk about the bug that can bring down the house. Termites. 87% of adults, that was 9 out of 10, will pay to terminate termites. That is fascinating to me. Notice that except for termites, almost half of adults will live with some very unpleasant creatures rather than pay a professional to ensure that the pests are eradicated. Termites will bring down the house. The smallest of offenses and hurts, if we choose to receive them that way, will bring down the church house. And you can be sure that the enemy wants us to spend time nursing those wounds. To spend time just thinking over and over again about that. Feeling rejected, feeling left out, feeling put down, feeling hurt. When did this become about us? But the enemy wants that. To live with a sense of forgiveness means that I forgive you for being selfish and stupid and you give me the same forgiveness. Wouldn't it be amazing to come to a place in our lives on a consistent basis where those little things that inflict pain and discomfort that cause this sense of insecurity and wounding. Wouldn't it be cool to be at that point in our lives where we say, you know what? Jesus, look at what you forgave me of. I don't know what this brother's intention was. I don't know what this sister's intention was. I forgive them. I don't hold that over them because they are just as selfish and stupid as I am. Can you imagine? Wow. That is, that is not giving the enemy a foothold. So praise team, come on up. Prepare to lead us. Brothers and sisters, again, just in the context of this sermon series all along, we cannot let these things fall off the radar screen. We cannot afford to let anything come between us as the people of God. There are times when the Spirit just doesn't release us from the pain of something that has happened and and we go, we go in the Spirit of Christ. We go in the gentleness of Christ and and we share and and the the, the purpose of that is to, to resolve and to bring healing and to bring encouragement and to bring glory to God. But I wonder, how many of those times that, you know, that little things are just kind of nibbling at us around the edges. I wonder if we don't just need to remember clearly what Christ has done for us. Sin makes us selfish and stupid and move on to the glory of God. May the Spirit give us wisdom to see one another as saints and to interpret the offenses in light of the fact that we all 
live with the impact of sin every day in our lives. May the Spirit give us wisdom to see the fallen beauty and goodness in one another, no matter what.